0: Sickening, the attack on lambs that were destined for a school farm.
1: These animals were not going into the food chain. They were being kept and were attending a school for primary school children who were learning all about farming and how to look after animals.
0: We'll hear from the owner later. Jerome has the latest grain report and it's not been a great week, as we'll reveal soon. But first, a new farm minister, but the same Brexit uncertainty. The Week in Agriculture... This is The
2: Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale.
0: Good morning. Yes, let's start with Brexit. It's another important week, aren't they all, with that vote back in Parliament on Tuesday. The Prime Minister, Theresa May, was in Grimsby on Friday and she warned we may never leave the EU if MPs reject her Brexit deal in Parliament. Here's some of what she had to say.
2: Next week, Members of Parliament in Westminster face a crucial choice whether to back the Brexit deal or to reject it. Back it and the UK will leave the European Union. Reject it and no one knows what will happen. We may not leave the EU for many months. We may leave without the protections that the deal provides. We may never leave at all. Many of our farmers feel that the common agricultural policy does not work for them. Many in fishing communities feel the same about the common fisheries policy. The deal takes us out of the CAP so we can design our own support for farmers. The deal takes us out of the CFP, restoring full sovereign control of our waters, the biggest opportunity for our fishing industry for over 40 years. These are the changes people voted for. They were my priorities in the negotiations and they are what the deal delivers.
0: Now, as you know, George Eustace quit as farming minister, so he can be more vocal about Brexit, especially if Article 50 is to be extended. His replacement is Robert Goodwell, himself a farmer. And ben Underwood from the CLA, what are your thoughts on George Eustace's replacement?
3: Well, the first thing I'll say is, um, you know, I have to pay tribute and thank George Eustace for all the hard work he did working with the industry to champion um what we stand for and i think he he provided some good continuity over five years uh with a number of different um secretary of state so thank you george but yes we welcome robert clearly most people have heard he has a farming background which is clearly uh very good news for us um we clearly want to get through those doors and have a meeting as early as possible um because uh you don't need me to tell you that we enter into a very crucial phase um, negotiations, and, you know, his his role is a very important one for us.
0: We do indeed, enter a, It seems every week is a crunch week at the moment for, for Brexit. There could be votes in Parliament this coming week. We'll see how it goes. What is the what is the feeling at the moment? You know, we're getting towards the end of March now, and we're still no clearer, are we?
3: Absolutely not. And I have to say, um, for Michael Gove to really have so few answers um, as a very competent politician... Uh, when asked recently about safeguards on certainly the, the, the sort of trade barriers uh, and non-tariff barriers to prevent our our industry domestically being undermined is really, really deeply concerning. And, you know, I do feel that we have a international trade minister in Liam Fox who, who is still overtly free market in his way of thinking. And, you know, he, he, he truly believes that opening up our, our food market to um, other parts of the world for cheaper food on the shelves um, is potentially a, a reality, which is a real, real concern to our industry. And I think, you know, Michael Gove, as Secretary of State for DEFRA, is saying there will be safeguards. But we are very near to that deadline now. And if we were to go on W trade. Organization, uh, World Trade uh, Organization rules. Then um, you know there's some serious ramifications for our industry.
0: And, and I guess the new agriculture minister he's got to get up to speed pretty quickly, hasn't he?
3: Yeah, he really does. And as I say, it, it, you know, making sure that that agriculture is is not used as a bargaining chip, um, and that uh, we do safeguard our high standards of production in this country. Um, and so that's absolutely essential. There's also then, of course, moving into uh, uh, returning our attention to the agricultural bill and that progress there, and there's a lot of detailed work to be done, and I think the thing that really concerns me there is you know, twofold. One is we're talking about public goods-type schemes going forward, but we're still no nearer in getting some idea of the magnitude of funds that that may attract and the sort of thing that, that farm businesses can... can um, can get and, and plan for. But secondly, is this sort of overarching concern around what, what uh, a body is fit for purpose to deliver all these sorts of schemes. And I think we need to, as an industry, be proactive in putting forward to the government what does a fit-for-purpose um, delivery body for any sort of land-based uh, agriculture productivity environment scheme going forward look like. And, and we need to be working on that now because time's moving on.
0: It is indeed, and I'm sure we'll be chatting again on the issue over the coming weeks. For now, thank you, Ben Underwood at the CLA. Staying with Brexit, it's been claimed by one MP this week that he said no shipments of grain for export are currently being booked from the port of Ipswich after March the 29th because of uncertainty about tariffs. Concerning news, if true. What's uh, happening overall on the grain markets, though? Let's get an update from Jerome Fielder at Open Field.
4: Hi, Sean. I don't like to be the bearer of bad news, but unfortunately... Markets continue to drift, particularly on old crop. Looking at wheat, May 19 futures fell a further £2 this week, opening on Friday at £159.50. On a positive note, November 19 has gained 25p since Monday, opening on Friday at £145.50. Momentum selling is a new buzzword. It is clear that both funds and speculators will continue to sell futures until they see a reason to stop the decline in values, but there doesn't appear to be a reason yet. So why won't this market turn around? Well, a lot hinges on a US-China trade deal, which should support the trade through both soybeans and wheat exports from the US to China. The rumours suggest that the two presidents will sign off a deal at the end of the month, but I doubt anyone will believe it until they side on the dotted line. On to barley. Malting barley premiums are between 20 and £25 pounds for spring varieties and winters are around £20. Pounds. The barley market continues to slide with no export demand and the UK having a surplus of feed barley. The hope is for a 1 million ton Saudi tender to support markets fundamentally and fo- hopefully pick up export demand. Onto all-seed rate markets, the market saw another push lower as the ongoing strike at France's crush plant in northern France enters its sixth week, which continues to remove 45,000 tonnes a week of demand out of the equation, weighing on both French values and therefore pressurising the UK market as imports look more competitive to come into the UK as the British pound remains in a firmer trading range over the week. The USDA report on Friday evening will be watched for the U.S.'s latest take on the supply and demand to see if any additional Chinese demand for soybeans has been built in. Our markets will not respond until Monday. Early bird surveys suggest that whilst the area in the U.K. and northern Europe will be lower, a return to trend yields, which is forecast at this stage, will make up for this loss and mean crop production levels will remain similar to this year. I personally believe this is to be a bold assumption, however, given the cabbage stem flea beetle larvae in the growing plants. X farm prices are hovering just below the £300 mark. Now for your X farm prices. Feed wheat is trading spot at between £156 and £161. Off the combine, it is £135 to £140 and a £5 carry to November. Group 1 premiums are between 18 and £22 pounds, again depending on location. The Aussie rate market is trading between £295 and £300 pounds, um, for spot and for new crop off the combine it's £290 to £294 pounds, with a £10 pound carry going to no- November 19. For all your ex-farm prices um, please contact your local Openfield Farm Business Manager. Thanks, Jerome. That's
0: Jerome Fielder at Openfield. It's exciting times at New York Livestock Market with a couple of new sales later this month. The first there by Carlisle-based Harrison and Hetherington. Scott Donaldson is Joint Managing Director at The Auctioneers. What
5: exciting times for us and, and I think the team at New York. Uh, we've been, after discussion, invited to be involved with the pedigree cattle and sheep sales here at New York. Uh, I think just through our involvement at Carlisle, uh, with operating pedigree sales uh, at our centre there, so, um, which we've, we're really quite excited about.
0: Well, tell us a little bit about the sales coming up then.
5: Well, what we've got coming up first is the English Premier Show and Sale, which uh, is going to consist of about 113 males and females, uh, and that's on the 23rd of March, Saturday 23rd. Uh, so that's mainly British Simmental cattle, uh, Lincoln Red cattle and Solaire cattle. So, uh, just a great opportunity to get a kind of mixed breed sale to kick us, kick the the connection between York and H and H off, and uh, something we're looking forward to. And how how is trade at the moment? Well, trade is. Uh, I think the whole of the farming industry is waiting to see what happens on the twenty ninth of March, if if not uh, mm. after that. And uh, so, I think there is a little bit of uncertainty, but in farming and, and livestock production, everybody's got to just keep going because you can't stop and start. And I think that's the general feeling of the livestock industry, where you've got to just keep moving things forward. And from that point of view, it's fairly positive. And, and up in Carlisle, how are things are at the moment? Yeah, well, yeah. It's uh, again, uh, you know, big big dairy area, big mm. suckler beef area, big sheep area, and uh, and and again, people are just getting on with their their daily routine. Uh, it's uh, it's we've not had the beast from the east this year, so that's been a great benefit to us. It's been a good autumn and and and, and an easy winter so far. So, people are fairly upbeat, really. What about numbers for this sale coming up? Are you looking
0: okay at the moment?
5: Yeah, we're, we're pleased with this. I mean, obviously, this is part of uh, this is the first sale of part of a new operation, a new uh, combination, new partnership, if you like. And, um, and, and we're very pleased with the numbers. Uh, we hope to develop more sales and, and more numbers as, uh, as we get into gear. So you say you got the sale on the 23rd, then you got one on the 30th as well? The 30th, yeah, Saturday the 30th, which uh, is a limousine sale and involves limousines, British Blues and uh, and some commercial cattle as well. Uh, which, again, the entry's looking well. Um, we're we're quite, quite happy with that, really. Scott Donaldson there from Harrison and
0: Harrington Auctioneers. That first sale is a week next Saturday, the 23rd. Last Sunday, we were discussing the problem of sheep worrying, attacks on sheep by dogs and careless owners. Well, I'm afraid this week we must discuss an attack, not by dogs, but by people. This time last week, Hull Farm at Messingham was coming to terms with the fact that three of their lambs and a sheep had been stolen, killed, and their remains then dumped on the road opposite. They were only four weeks old and had been bought for a school farm where children could feed them. Jamie Quinn is the owner. He's been speaking
1: with Lily Keane. Um, I got a call from Humberside Police about 7.30 on Saturday morning, asking me if I'd got any sheep missing. Um, came down to the farm and checked and found that one of our pedigree Lincoln Longwall sheep and three what we call cade or orphan lambs had gone missing. Um, and met with a farming neighbour of mine who told me that they'd found the remains of these four animals on his property and that his property had been broken into so they could use his land to eviscerate these animals.
6: So how many lambs were taken and killed? Three. And how many lambs did you have? Three. <laughs> so that's all of your lambs then, isn't it? So I mean, when you, you know, came down and saw they were missing, how did it make you feel?
1: Um, first of all, it was panic. Where were they? And then obviously once I'd met up with my neighbour, um, and seen what had been done to these four week old creatures. Um, Anger, um, a lot of anger. It's the disgusting, vicious way that these these lambs would have gone running up to these people because being uh, orphan lambs, they associate people with food. Um, And it's that betrayal of trust and then them being taken away and basically killed in a completely brutal manner with no regard to animal welfare, which is what should happen if an animal is going into the food chain. These animals were not going into the food chain. They were being kept and were attending a school for primary school children who were learning all about farming and how to look after animals.
6: And I mean, how important is it that you're able to teach children about, you know, your trade?
1: Well, farming, um, there is a disconnect between the, the consumer and the farmer. Um, I think it's absolutely vital that children learn from as soon as they can where their food comes from. What a lamb looks like, what, what a cow looks like, how big they are, how to interact with them. Because farming, you know, we're we're all getting a little bit old and apparently there is a shortage of youngsters coming into the industry. And if we can, by going and spending time with these children, you never know, we we could be firing up and planting the idea that once they leave school, they want to come into our industry.
6: And what's the general reaction being like then from people that you know? I suppose everyone's just shocked and upset equally.
1: Shocked, upset... um, The farming community have rallied round. Um, Somebody that I know has offered to replace the lambs so at least we can get that side of things running again. Um, But I've got to speak to the ministry because rather than having the lambs down at the farm, I'm looking at them basically living in my garden at home where they will be safe.
6: And, you know, just finally, are you worried about your other livestock here or...?
1: I'm getting concerned that if they're taking sheep and lambs and we've also had a few, um, our chickens go as well um, are they going to up the ante and basically come in and tr- try and take one of the calves um, because they really don't care all they're after is some, some form of gratification um, and obviously with the animals that we've got here, where we're spending a lot, where we've spent a lot of time and money um, over the past two years, when I started in farming, um, building up a herd of well-bred, well-handled, quiet animals—they um, are an easy target.
0: Jamie Quinn there with Lily Keane on that sickening attack on lambs on his farm. Sean Sparling will update us on agronomy in a moment. First, Sean, what did you have to make of uh, what's happened on Jamie's farm there?
7: Yes, good morning, Sean. Do you know, I am absolutely devastated by what I have just heard because I didn't know these lambs, but I've grown up with animals and I've grown up with sheep and I know that cade lambs, tame lambs are the most trusting, wonderful, happy, joyful little creatures you will ever wish to meet. And to think that some... I can't use the word I want to use, but to think that these idiots, these scum, have taken those lovely little creatures and done this to them on the side of the road, it's absolutely... I'm, I just can't express what I'm feeling. And I really hope that the police do everything they can possibly do to catch these people, because we want them naming and shaming, and their faces want to be across every newspaper and television station. We want to know where they were, we want to know why they did what they did. And because there's no place for people like this in a modern society, an animal loving society, I am absolutely disgusted by what I've just heard. Um, anyway, that's a good start for the agronomy bit, isn't it? I apologise for that. Um, but I, I can't express my disgust and contempt for these people enough. Right, anyway, moving on to agronomy. Let's start with oilseed rape. I said last week I thought we were witnessing the beginning of the end of oilseed rape growing in the east of the UK. And I absolutely stand by that. Because unless we get some major advances in insecticide technology, and they bring out an insecticide, which means we no longer have to rely on our enforced use of pyrethroid to control cabbage den flea beetle. Then things aren't going to change because what we've done in the last six years since the moratorium on neonicotinoids came out is we've had to use pyrethroids to control the pest and we have now selected out the resistant population which is largely uncontrollable and that's where we've got to now nearly every field i look after i look after nearly 5,000 acres of oilseed rate and every field i go in i can find cabbage stem flea beetle larvae and that's unprecedented i've never seen that before and some of these larvae are three to four Per petiole. You know, there are up to 10 or 15 per plant. And even healthy plants which look good, you can count out 10, 15 cabbage stem flea beetle larvae from that plant. And that means we the unknown quantity is what they're going to do over the course of the next few weeks, because they're going to be in those plants and until they pupate in sometime in April. So They could do an awful lot of damage yet, and we could still lose more. There are patches going over the last seven days. Patches within fields have gone. Areas within fields have gone from Wiltshire to Yorkshire. So this problem isn't going to go away, and it's only going to get worse. And you tell me if a farmer had to plough in 100 acres of oilseed rape, having spent tens of thousands of pounds getting it from August to here... Will you ever be able to convince him to grow oilseed rape again? I think not. And the damage that will have, the knock-on implications that has to the environment are almost too worrying to think about because oilseed rape is the biggest and only source of early pollen for all of the pollinators, the bees, the butterflies... All of their predators, so the things that the house martins and the swallows and the skylarks and all of the insect eaters feed upon, that's where they're prioritising their feeding habit. And if we lose that early source of pollen, you know, that is catastrophic to the pollinators. And all because a group of lobbyists and NGOs and celebrities convinced a public who wanted to do the right thing that what they thought they knew about neonicotinoids was fact. It turns out not to have been the case. I've said before, we've had Lots of organisations from all around the world looking at the same data on neonicotinoids, they decided that the benefits outweighed the perceived risk and they've stuck with neonics. So if we were to lose oilseed rate, what happens? We have to bring in oilseed rate products from abroad where they use neonicotinoids. That is scandalous that we get to that point. And maybe we need a rethink, and we need to rethink very quickly, because if we want to keep oilseed rate growing in the UK, we need to work out how to do that. Um, Disease levels in oilseed rape remain relatively low. I'm walking 15, 20 miles every day across arable crops. A lot of that is oilseed rape. I'm seeing very little movement in the light leaf spot levels. Monitor it. Know where it is. Look at it and keep looking at it. If it it suddenly starts to move, then you need to react because we only have protectant. Prothiconazole, tebiconazole, metconazole all have useful levels of protection, but you're only going to get three weeks protection. So if it's not moving within the field and you put a fungicide on and it starts to move in three weeks, you have to put another fungicide decide on. So don't spend money unnecessarily, spend money wisely. Target it to what you're looking at and just constantly monitor these fields. Don't just spray because it's March and you spray around the 9th and 10th of March. Don't that's not the way to do this job. Do it properly. Um, Other things, if you've still got herbicides to put on your oilseed rape and they are clopyrolid or clopyrolid picloram based, remember once the buds start to rise out of the canopy you're too late. You'll do more harm with a picloram mix than you will with the straight clopyrolid but even so you'll you can cause more damage to the crop than do good in the field. So prioritize your issue. If it's cleavers you're after, prioritize. If it's mayweed, that wants to be next on your priority list. But things like ground soil, which stay relatively low, they're not that competitive in a thick canopy. It should get smothered out. It's annoying, but it will not matter if you actually miss the ground South South thistles can look worse than they are out in the field. So low levels, but it's probably better to judge each field on its merit and make sure the money you're spending is spending it wisely and for the safety of the crop. Winter cereals, we're correcting those nutrient deficiencies as we go forward. Nitrogen first mm-hmm. dose mm-hmm. largely applied now. Um, and it's important to correct nutrient deficiencies before you put um, herbicides on these fields. Remember you need a dry leaf if it is monolith or Pacifica or Atlantis you're using. Dry blackgrass leaf, crucial. We're not getting many of those at the moment. Disease levels remain low. Um, although they are starting to think about moving so t0 is looming it's not quite upon us yet don't put a gross regulator in your t0 if you've got a big frothy well tilled crop because all you'll do is get more tillers and a lot of these crops trust me they don't need any more tillers they're going to take a lot of keeping stood up as they are at the moment um spring wheat spring barley spring barley's coming through the ground well odd aphids about don't make a mess remember manganese can help Um, thicken the wax layers and help it become more resilient against frost. It boosts the root growth. So judge each field on its merits. Um, Linseed will go in the ground soon. Spring beans, all of mine, are in the ground now, yet to emerge. Peas, not in the ground yet. um, And no sign of any sugar beet on my patch, actually. And now it's come wet. It's complicated the soil conditions anyway. So we had a wet week last week. We had a warm week the week before that. It looks like next week's going to be a wet week. So with a bit of luck, we'll get some rain because we desperately need that rain now. And if we're going to get wet, now would be a better time than in about three weeks' time when all hell has broken loose.
0: Thanks, Sean. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. Well, as he's talking about the weather, let's see what this week has in store.
2: The Farming Programme. Five day forecast.
0: As Sean said, it is a wet weekend, quite blustery and unsettled actually, with cold air blowing from the north, so perhaps wintry showers in places today. The wind from the west gusting at 40 miles an hour, we're looking at daytime highs of 6 Celsius. Tomorrow is a little calmer, maybe some sunshine, still quite breezy from the west northwest, gusting at 30. Tuesday, further rain is forecast. Heavy in places, the wind from the south, gusts of 50 miles an hour. And it really stays unsettled through the rest of the week as well. Quite uncertain as to just uh, how wet, how windy it might be. Uh, That's where our hourly forecasts come into play. Generally, looking at highs of around 6 to 8, overnight lows of 3 or 4 Celsius. That's the forecast. Now, if you farm cattle, you might be interested in an event taking place this coming Thursday. That's March the 14th. It's at uh, Market Raisin Golf Club. The TB Advisory Service will be there giving a presentation on what happens should TB spread to our part of the world. Caroline Vickers-Lingard is pulling it all together if you'd like to attend. Her email is Caroline that's C-A-R-O-L-Y-N, carolin, at N-L-R-T.co.uk. Caroline at N-L-R-T dot U-K at nlrt.co.uk. If you uh, haven't got a pen handy, don't worry. Uh, We'll post the address on the at Farming Show Twitter feed and you can always download the podcast in a short while from the website and uh, get it again by listening to the programme all over again. All previous editions are there online and the next edition, well, it'll be here on the radio same time next
2: week. Until then, take care.